So we are in Psalm 119 and Brother Murray said it this morning, it is the Word. It's coming back to the Word of God, isn't that right? Who loves the Word of God? And that's all I want to preach to, isn't it? That's all you've come back here to hear, isn't it? Just the Word of God. We don't tell stories. You are not interested in my thoughts, in my mind, or my opinions. Because our opinions differ, isn't it, Ron? Your background will influence your, your opinions about things. But we come to the Word of God, Pauls, and we stand in the Word of God because that is our strength. And we've been camping in Psalm 119. And a few weeks ago I said to you, I wanted to move on. I wanted to start talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit. But as I, during the week, things happening in our lives, and as I'm praying and as I'm meditating on the Word, I keep on getting back to Psalm 119. There's so much. I think we can preach a whole year on Psalm 119. I think you can preach a few years on Psalm 119. Because the more I read it and the more I meditate on it, the more I found the gospel in it. And the more I do that, I find Jesus Christ in it. And this particular week, and uh, hearing what uh, Wayne said over the Gideons, and hearing testimonies coming out, and what's happening in our lives, this resonated with me this week. Psalm 119 verse 67. And I pray the Lord that He will encourage you today with the Word. I pray the Lord that if you go through a difficult time today or you know somebody going through a difficult time, that He will come to you with His Word and speak into your heart and into your mind. Because He is our refuge. He is our rock and our salvation. Without Him I will be wasting your time. And this is what David found when he wrote down Psalm 119 and all the Psalms that he wrote. This was where he found God and he found Christ. Now, remember, he didn't know Christ like we know Christ. Yes, Jesus, I, he, he manifested himself in the Old Testament, but they couldn't see him. They were veiled. And thank the Lord that we are not veiled any longer. We see Christ. He's a person and we can have a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with him? I don't want you to have a relationship with the church. I don't even want you to follow me preaching. I'm, I'm the first one who would say, look, I'm not the best preacher out in the world. You shouldn't follow a preacher. You shouldn't follow a person but the person Jesus Christ, who is God with us. That's the greatest thing that happened in this man's life, is when I met him. I was so full of myself when I was young, and sometimes I still believe, like my brother said, that I'm full of myself and I have to still empty myself. But you know, there was a time when I thought I was everything in life, and the whole universe turned around me until I met him and I realized I'm so lost and wretched. If you're going to see yourself through his eyes, you will see the real you. And this is what we learned from this. So the psalmist come here in Psalm 119. And in verse 67, he says, Before I was afflicted, everybody say afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. That means I, I went walking, like they say in Australia, walkabout. Is that how they say it, the Avariches? I went walkabout. When I went astray, I went away from God. But, everybody say but. but. What does it mean, my brother? Sharp contrast. He says, but now I keep your word but now i keep your word and then 
And then this is the most beautiful for me this week that I had to hear. And I had to check it time and time and again in the Bible to see if it's still there. And it feels so true and real to me. He says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. May the Lord bless the public reading of His Word. And even if I say nothing, nothing, I close my Bible and I close my laptop and we say goodbye and get in my car and I go home. I am so satisfied that you've heard the Word of God. This is how every preacher should approach the pulpit. This is how you should approach everything in life. If God has spoken, you are quiet and you listen and you see what He's given you. I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God. Who knows that God is good? You know, we all say it. We say, God is good. All the time. And I want to challenge you on that. I knew you were going to say it because we all say that. Everybody says it. God is good. All the time. All the time God is good. But you see, this is what we get away with in churches. We get away with the, the church lingo, isn't it? Isn't it? Come on, let's be honest here this morning. You hear somebody say it, it sounds good, and now you just repeat it. Without thinking about it. Without thinking what you're saying. You walk up to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? Not so bad. Is that you? <laughs> how many times have you heard that? Let me just open up your ears for the week, okay? See how many people you go up and you go to them, hey, how are you doing? How's your life going? Oh, not too bad. What's wrong with that? It is bad, but it's not too bad. It's because we, are, we, are, we do this on habit. We hear something, it sounds good, then we repeat it. Listen, listen, I, 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 I didn't evolve from a monkey. You don't have to teach me like a monkey or like a parrot. No, be an individual in Christ. When people ask me, how's things going? I say, man, life is good. If it is good, and if it's not good, it's fair to say to people it's not going so well. Just be honest. Because maybe when you say to people it's not going so well, that's an opportunity for them to speak into your life. We need people to speak into our lives. We can't just keep on giving. We need somebody to speak in as well. But you know, this is just the nature of us. And I see it and I hear it so many times in churches. You go around and there's this church lingo that hangs around churches, isn't it? We all say the same thing. You know, somebody say amen and everybody go, amen. What does it mean when you say amen? Have you ever asked you a question? Why am I saying amen? Amen says I agree with what you're saying. And I believe in that. So what, what if I say something which is not true and you're just in the lingo and yeah, amen, I believe in that, but it's not true. You have to think it through. And this is the same when it comes to the goodness of God. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. But I want to challenge you. What do you mean when you say God is good? What do you mean? What, what, what is it that makes you say that? And why did David say these words? Why would David say, you are good? And I'll tell you one of the things that I find so many times people say that. It is because what God has done for them. 
And I want to challenge you this morning, when you shouted it out all the time, God is good, God is good all the time, what, it come, what came up in your mind? What was the picture that you saw? Was it something that you were in a pickle, you were in a dark stage, and God came and He rescued you out of that? Oh, God is so good. What next time if He doesn't come in your time? You would say it, sister. You would say it and praise the Lord because you know Him, but some people will then go, oh, He's not so good anymore. But He is still good. But why can the sister say He's still good in dark times? That's what I'm challenging. Because He's faithful. Because we need to understand and know God. And here He comes. I love it when He says this. He says, you are good, Lord. And you do good. You do good, Father. And what is it that He done? Psalm 106 verse 1. I love this. And this is in the King James Version uh, translation. And I love it because He puts in that little word there. If you've got a new King James Version, they've taken that word ye out there. And I, I looked at that and I looked in the King James and I thought, no, no, the ye, the ye needs to be there. Why? Because He says, praise ye, ye, ye all, all of you, all of us, praise ye, the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Give thanks unto Him, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Now, when we talk about giving thanks, I want to ask you, do you still give God thanks in your difficult times? Do you still give Him thanks? Or are you so occupied and looking at the waves, like Peter, when Peter went out and he walked on the water and he saw Jesus, as, as long as his eyes were transfixed on Jesus, as long as he saw Jesus, he could walk on the water. It was dark. You remember that passage? The wind was howling. So because it's dark, you couldn't see the future. And so many times the future is taken away from us. You hear bad news and you don't know what tomorrow is bringing. That's darkness. And here is these disciples in the middle of that boat in the storm. Peter gets out. He says, Lord, if you call me, I'll walk on the water. And he walks on water. Oh, Lord, you are good. You make me walk on water. But that's not what it is. It's, it's not because he walked on water that God is good. It's something else. It's something more substantial than just acts. You know, we are a people of acts. We want to see something. And he keeps his eyes on Jesus. And as soon as he started looking at the waves and hearing the howling of the wind, what happened? He started sinking. And this is us. This is me. This is me this week at some stage. I took my eyes for a moment of Jesus. And, and guess what happened? I started fretting. You know that word fretting? Is that a good use to it? I was going to use it anyway. It's the first word that jumped up in my mind. But why do we say God is good? Why is it that the psalmist can come down and he says, Praise ye the Lord, O Lord, give thanks unto the Lord. Always give thanks to Him, for He is good, for His mercy. His mercy endures forever. Who, who, can, who understand what the word forever means? What does forever mean? Well, it means forever. That was difficult. And forever means a long, long time. And he says forever His mercy is good. Psalm 34 verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. I love this psalm, and I picked a few of these psalms out purposely and specifically 
And if the board doesn't come up, it doesn't matter. Today is just one of those days where the enemy thinks he's going to derail this man, but he can't. I serve a God who's greater than him. In Psalm 34 verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Those two things, listen to me, are personal things, isn't it? It's personal things. So your taste makes it personal. It's inward. And see is to do with your mind. And now he comes and he makes it personal for us. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not a thing on a distant valley. It's not something out there. It is something which is so near and so close to us. And this is so good for us. Now, what does it mean when he says, the Lord is good? And this is the question I'm endeavoring to answer today. What does it mean? What does it mean when he goes on to say those words? The first thing I want to bring to you this morning is that, praise the Lord, we need to answer the question, what is God, what is your concept of God in your life? What is your concept? How do you see God? What do you think about God? You see, we, we speak to the people on the street and they go, who's this God you're talking about? They haven't got a concept of God. And, and you know, when those two young boys came to me and they started talking, so we would get mad, some people in the church. Some of them blaspheme, isn't it right? They blaspheme. They, and purposely, to, to get you, to, lock, to, to pull you out, they blaspheme the name of God. And people get upset. And I don't get upset anymore. Am I shocking you? If the world uses his name in vain, I'm not getting upset anymore. Why? Because they don't know him. That's why. But we know him. And this is why we won't do that. These people blaspheme him because their concept of God is different. But let me just tell you, there's people in the church whose concept of God is different. What is your concept of God? How do you know God? Your Christian walk is determined by your view of God. That's, that's determining your view. Your, your Christian walk, your belief, what you do, every single thing, how you view God will, will determine your life. You know, for some people, their faith is small because God is small for them. That's their perception of God. He's small. Oh no, God can't do that. I don't think the Lord can do that. You see, some people, their faith is weak because God to them is weak. They haven't met the real God. And now their faith is weak. Their, their religion, if you want to call it, their, their belief system is weak. And then when difficult times come their way, they just give in and they say, Oh, I've given up on faith. I'll just move on. God is not for me. I've worked that out. Some people's faith is immoral because their God is immoral. You get some people in the world, they will kill for their God. Unrighteously. Unrighteously. And when you walk up to them and you talk to them, man, they are so, so, they are so convinced that this, they're doing the noble thing, the right thing. But they, they serve an immoral God. And their concept of God is immoral. What is your concept of God today? I want to challenge you. You all said it. God is good all the time. You all said it. So what is God in your life? Have you met Him personally? You will only be as strong in your faith as your conception of God. Just think about that. Ponder about it. You will only be as strong in your faith as your conception of God. 
and how you spend time with, with God will identify your conception of God. If you love somebody, do you want to spend a lot of time with him or her? Absolutely. You know, and it's the same with the church. Our strength is determined by what we determine God to be for this church. Standing here and, you know, uh, just preaching to you and have the privilege to share the gospel of God. If my perception of God, what God is and who He is, is small, that perception will go through the church. And we will come as a church before challenges, which is still coming our way. There's big challenges coming the church's way. And our conception of how we see God will determine that. Whether we still say God is good or whether God is not good. You see, some people's perception of God is that He's an angry God. He's an angry God. And He's just out there and waiting for you to make a mistake so that He can just crush you. You know, I'm out for you. And, 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 you know, if that's your conception of God, and I've heard it preached from pulpits so many times, that will influence the preaching. And He is an angry God. Who knows God is an angry God? He's got anger against what? Sin. But if your conception is to look at this God the whole time, He's an angry God, and He's going to look at my sin every day, then you cannot speak like Paul over the table which the Word was read to us. Oh, wretched man that I am. Because you don't want to make a mistake. I've met people in New Zealand, you know, they came around and sitting in a Bible study and this one lady was there that one night and uh, I could see in her face that she wasn't at peace. Somebody troubled her and what we did in a Bible study, you go around and let each one say something afterwards. And when we came to her, she nearly burst out in tears. And she said, you know, I'm so worried about my Christian walk. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because I don't know if in two weeks or three weeks in a month I'm going to sin, that God is just going to stop me from going to heaven. You see, this is the perception, the concept for them is of this angry God. And you know what? Sermons will be built around that concept in churches. They will preach from John 15 verse 2 and say, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he taketh away. And there's the, there's the focus on that one verse. But if that is your understanding of everything, then it's going to influence everything inside of you. Have I kicked it out? So, so that is it. You know, there's a people's uh, perception of God. If He's an angry God for you, then it's going to influence your whole life. You're going to walk in fear. Now the Bible says He didn't give us a spirit of? But of? Power and? And a sound mind. And love. Some people's perception of God is that He's a loving God. Who knows that? Who knows that God is a loving God? But you know what these people say? They would go around and they go, man, I can do whatever I want to do. There's no consequences for sin. I am born again now. I have all of these things and His grace will just multiply over me. And so many times I challenge whether they are really born again. Come on, we say it as it is here, isn't it, Aaron? I challenge that. Because if you are really born again, you're going to seek Him in His Word and you will see, He will t show you and He will guide you in your heart that you cannot continue on with your sinful life if you are a born again child of God. You have to let the Holy Spirit come and work inside of you and change you from the inside out and stop sinning. But here, yeah, there's a loving God and people's perception of God is that He's loving. And you know, they will preach from John 3.16, the most famous verse, wouldn't they? John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son 
that whomever believeth shall not. But it's so interesting, brothers and sisters, that when we go to the Bible and we look at the preceding verses of that, they, and, and after that, they never read that, do they? Do they? They never quote those verses. I mean, it's coming up to Christmas, and the Christmas cards, the most famous scripture verse that you can find is John 3.16. You know what I want to do if I send cards around? I don't, but you know, if, if I want to put it in, I want to put everything in context. Let me just read to you a little bit further on, okay? He says there, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, He's a loving God. He loves the whole world. doesn't matter who you are. Which is true. There is truth in that. But there's a consequence and there's a price that's been paid. And this is what the next verse says. Listen. For God, uh, he says in verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. So why did He love the world? That the world be saved. Now all of a sudden this loving God is also a judging God. Am I right or wrong? It's right. He's a judging God. He says the world needs to be saved. So in other words, there's a sin in the world. And now we come to the verse which... A lot of people do not want to read. They, they might as well cut it out of the Bible. It says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. He's not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Listen to me. If you are sitting here, if there's people online hearing my word, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ while you are living today, while you are breathing today, you are condemned already. And it's not, listen to me, listen. It's not God condemning you. It's not Jesus condemning you. You are condemning yourself by not believing in Him. It's not me saying it. I say so often, are you getting you know, mad at me? Are you getting upset at me? I hope so. Because it needs to challenge your heart where you are sitting. And, and this is it. Next time, you know, if you're going to give out Christmas cards and you want to write, write this verse in there. Because now you are using that Christmas card as a tract. Yes? To reach the heart. He says it there. He says his son into the world, uh, he says he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But people's concept of God is he's a loving God. And this is how you see when it gets challenged. Some bad thing happened. A natural disaster. And what's the first thing these people say? Why would a loving God do this? You see, because they haven't got a concept of God. I'm coming back to the words. And, and let me just throw this one more in. There's some people's concept of God that He's only one God. He hasn't got a son. I think you know who I'm talking about. But they live in deceivement. They live in deceivement. For them He's so high and noble and unapproachable. And they have their own book. They don't follow the book of life. They don't follow the God of this Bible. And you see, and now they can do immoral things and just say, hey, you know, that's our God. But you see, their religion will not supersede their God. That's where it will stop for them. Whilst with us, if He come and He redeems our souls, we become heirs and joint heirs with the Son. You become a son of God and a daughter of God. Yes? It is so wonderful, brothers and sisters. Now I want to go back to Psalm 119 verse 67. And I, I just want to unpack this for you and then we can go and have some food and so on. He says, Before I was afflicted, Everybody say afflicted again. 
He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but I, now I keep your word. You see, he uses those words, and the word there, affliction, we know the word affliction. Affliction comes in many ways to us. Sometimes it comes in hardship, in suffering, and in challenges. Who knows about challenges of life? You know, I'm getting knocked about the heart, the school of heart knocks in life, somebody said. It comes in way of health issues. This is how affliction comes sometimes. You know, people can get uh, bad news about their health. We are not getting younger. And, you know, because we were so young and we lived as if we're going to live forever, we may have damaged our bodies with the wrong eating patterns, drinking patterns, and all of these things. And then you go to the doctor. I also say to people, you're only as healthy as your last checkup. Isn't that right? As your last checkup. And, and this is always to remember. I'm not saying this to fear you, but afflictions come through these things. Afflictions come through personal loss. You might lose somebody in, who was the center of your life. I mean, I'm going to be honest to you, just with, with Leonie in the hospital, I was running like a headless chook yesterday all around. And this morning. Now, everybody's replaceable in life, but you know, if there's a personal loss of somebody or, or something, it brings affliction into your life. And then what about financial hardship? Losing a job. You know, you, your, your boss might turn up and say, look, we, we don't need you any longer. And, and again, here is Peter on the water. He's looking at Jesus. As long as you look for Jesus, these are all only but waves that's coming on. But, but we are people. We are not superhuman beings. If you are a superhuman being, God bless your heart. But I'm like you, a person. And if you start keeping looking at stuff around you, the affliction will have, will have an effect on you. But it comes through financial hardship. And, and what about mental issues these days? Mental issues is a big issue. It's a big issue, you know. And, and these hardship and afflictions comes people's ways. And, and, and this is what is happening with people. We go through this stuff. We are real people. Now, David talks about it. He says, before I was afflicted. It means that affliction came his way. But then he says the following words. He says, I went astray, but now I keep your word. He says that when this hardship comes my way, I could have become bitter and resentful, as I hear so many people say that these days. Resentful and bitter. Why is this happening with me, Lord? Why didn't you pick the person next to me? But Lord, I am praying every day. But Lord, I'm going to church. And But Lord, I'm giving some of my stuff away. But Lord, I'm trying to be a good person. And why is this affliction coming on me? You see, that question, why, is a really difficult question to ask. Why a why? But it's also a selfish question to ask. You see, we want to see the problem happening with others, but not us. And especially when we sit in church. We wanted to see. We wanted to see to the people in the world who don't believe in God. But here we are. We sit as children of God, people of faith. And then we look at the people of the world and they flourish. Isn't that right? And here we sit and we get the bad news, Lord. We get the doctor's bad news. We get that personal loss. But Lord, I am your child. Don't you see why, Lord? I want to suggest to you this morning, if you pray that, go to the Lord on your knees and repent and say, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. He says, before I was afflicted. Now, now, now I've given you what affliction can come into your life. But if I put it in context, the way that, that David used the word here wasn't 
to complain and to be bitter about all the things that happened in his life. The way that he uses affliction here and the correct application of the word there, it means bowed down and humbled. That's what it means. And, and I find some solace in that. And I find, some, I find some guidance in that. Because the affliction that happened in David's life, it happened there and then it brought him to a power point of humility before God. That's what affliction does. When we're strong in ourselves, when we've got our own vices and everything, we can stand strong in ourselves, but if God takes that or allows it to go away, that's when we turn on our knees to God in humility. This is what David is talking about. And he uses the word there, before. It's a pity it's not on the board, but I can send this on to you. He says, before I was humbled, I went astray. What does it mean? It means that, you know, he went into sin. And we know David's life. We know exactly what he went through. He went into sin. And this is the problem with us, brothers and sisters. We do our own thing, and we went away from God. We move away from God. And that's when the trouble comes into your life. I am so mighty and high in myself and I can do it on my own, Lord. And I make my own decisions without you. And I make a lot of decisions in my life based on my emotions. And then I find myself in a difficult position as a child of God. And what happens? He humbles you. Circumstances humbles you. But it's not fair. Who said everything is going to be fair in life? Who is the preacher who told you that if you become born again, your life is going to be smooth? I want to tell you that person lied to you. If you come to Christ and He saved you, you are still living in this world. The same things that affect everybody in the world will still affect you. But there's hope. And what is the hope? It's Him. It's Him. We've got something. He says... When I was afflicted, I could have become resentful and we wouldn't have had. If David became resentful and, and hateful and, and blaming God and a victim in his life, we would not have had Psalm 19. We wouldn't have had any of that written in our Bible. But he has that. So why am I going on like this? Because brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are. You don't know where I am. But God knows. And he knows exactly what he's doing in your life and my life. And you know what, what affliction brings? It brings character. There was a man by the name of Paul Galanti. He was in the U.S. Navy pilot, and they caught him in, in, in the war in Vietnam. A prisoner of war for over seven years. For six years of that time, he was sitting in a cell, locked up. Not, not out, not exercise. Six and a half years in one room. There's no knob on the inside of that door. It's getting in on the outside. Six and a half years, Wayne. He was sitting there. You know what this man says after he came out? He could have done a lot of things. He appreciated the little things in life. And you know what he appreciates the most? A doorknob on the inside of a door. <laughs> Why? Because that doorknob gives him freedom. There, six and a half years, he could have done, he could have everything, but he goes, I appreciate the small things. You see, sometimes the Lord needs to bring us to our knees to appreciate the small things that he's doing for us. Are you thanking God? Now, let me finish this morning as the psalmist say, it is good for me. I find it really interesting 
that after this affliction he's talking about that humbled David. And look, you can go and read David's life. He, uh, he was humbled. He was humbled to the point that he lost his child. You know, when God came to me, he says, your sin will be forgiven, but there's consequences for sin. The child will die. David wept, wept bitterly for his oldest son, but he didn't weep as bitterly for that child. Go and ask yourself, answer that question one day if you want to do Bible study. Why? Because he knew he would see that child again, but his oldest son he would not see again. Small things in life, which we take for granted. Sitting here this morning, coming to church, we take it for granted. Hearing about the Gideons, and here we sit in our comfort zone, there's people out there who's lost. Some of them are going to die today. Within the next half an hour, they might be in, in, in Melbourne, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 people pass away today without Christ. Small things in life. Here you sit in church and you're still breathing. Small things in life. Now we all said God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And, and he says it here. He says, for God, it is, it is good for me. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 71, David turns around after all of this affliction. He says these words, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. <laughs> what? Will you do that? When you go through the dark times of your life and you've been afflicted so much that you turn around and say, Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! I got a flat tire when I shouldn't get one. Praise the Lord for the flat tire. God is good all the time. God is good. Oh man, this flat tire is getting to me. And then you just fix it, you go around the corner and there's the other tire and now you're sitting with a pickle because you haven't got a spare. This happens with us, isn't it? When we make our own plans. We're trying to, we're in this rut. We're just over this one problem. We fix it. Ah, that's it. It's crusade running. And then these three, these other. It's like that game. What do they call that game with the hammer which they pop up? What's that thing called? Uh, there you go, whack it down, and then this time, whack it down, and you're all over the place, and you know, you're so much energy. And this is what it happens, brothers and sisters. He says, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. I've, I found this, um, this poem of, of a guy called Fitzhu. He said, in times of greatest trouble, I've learned to trust God's word. For through the Spirit's teaching, my Savior's voice I've heard. I love that. It's so beautiful. And perhaps, perhaps, listen to me, perhaps you can identify with the words of the psalmist when, when he says, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. And, and, you know, some of you have been there and you know what he means when he talks about this affliction. Or you may be in the middle of a great hardship today. I don't know. Maybe some who's hearing me online will go through great hardships. But when the days are dark and the relief is out of sight... We need to trust. We need to cling on to that old rugged cross. We need to do and not just follow. Is it up? Yeah, there we go. We need to hang on to that. We need to hold on. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He says, but now I keep your word. He says, I found my rock and my salvation in the word, and I'm going to hold on to it. And then he says, you are good and you do good. Now, what does it mean that you are good? Let's quickly answer that. Is it because what he did for David? Is it because he helped David? And what about you? Is it because he came through at a time that he needed to come through? 
What is it that when he says it is good? You see, good describes the attribute of God that gives not what people deserve, but according to his good will. That's what is good. When I say God is good, it's not what he's done for me, it's for who he is. Goodness is an attribute of God. So next time when somebody say God is good, and you say all the time, remember what you're saying. You're saying that his attribute, his DNA, his essence is good. It is, he's a good God, not for what he's done. I will never put God on a pedestal and put him here and to perform for us. Blasphemy for that. But I will trust him for he's a good God. God's goodness is the sum total of all of his attributes. Think of this. Do you know about God's attributes? God's immutable. God's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Goodness is, an, is the sum total of all of them. So if you say God is good, you are calling out all of God's attributes for who He is, not for what He can, done for you, can do for you. You see, His wrath is good. Who knows that His wrath is coming to this world? Just go and look in your Bible in Revelation. And don't be deceived, please. Because persecution and wrath is two different things. If you talk about the persecuted church and the wrath of God which is going to come after the rapture, it's two different things. You have to have it clear. But His wrath is good. His mercy is good. Who can say amen to that? His justice is good. Though we don't love His justice, it's good. His holiness is good. His love is good. Everything God does is good, the psalmist say this morning. And because He is good, nothing happens to us that is not for our ultimate benefit. This will change your mind because you said God is good all the time. But it's not because of what He does. Because He's good and you're His child, everything that happens for you is for your good. He will look after you. And this is how He is. You see, God's goodness is inherent. It's part of His nature. In Psalm 100, verse 5, He says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Look at these words. What does everlasting mean? Everlasting, it means forever. And then to all generations. We, I'm part of that generation. When this was written, it was I was not even thought about. God thought about me, but nobody else. How many generations had to go through before it got to where I'm standing here today? And now that goodness of God is even for me today. Have you thought about that? Read about His goodness. He is not a dispenser that runs out. Have you seen these vending machines when you go into hospital where you are? You put your, your money in and then you put a number in and it comes out. Have you ever walked up to one of those dispensers and you go, man, I want today vanilla Coke. Not that I drink it, but I just use that. And you go in there and you go, oh, number 51 is vanilla Coke, but there's none. It's run out. How many people do you know who runs out of patience? <laughs> Maybe that's a better example, isn't it? They run out of patience. It means there's no patience anymore. What comes out after patience is run out? What comes out? <laughs> How does frustration look? 
Shall we stop there? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a counseling session. But you see, God's goodness never runs out. Never. It is there for you. It's not a vending machine. It's for all generation. You remember Joseph? Let me just give you this one last example. Joseph, there in Genesis 37, his brothers got him. They didn't like him. They, uh, they sold him off as a slave. You know, he had a promise. He had all the dreams from God. God is working in his life. You know, such a blossomous future. Such a, you know, he, the coat of many, the, the, the garment of many colors. And, you know, he's the favorite. Here is this uh, wonderful. And maybe you felt like that when the Lord saved you and everything is honky, you know, it's going well. And then his brothers come and they sell him as a slave. I mean, here I am. I'm a king's kid. I'm, we say it all and now I'm a slave. And then he goes in and, you know, things go well and then they lie about him and he falls into jail and there he sits for how long? He can become resentful. But in his mind, God is good. Yes, God is good and he do good. And what happens? You know, a dream came to There's a dream and, and he comes out and he becomes the second, the second to Pharaoh. God has wonderful ways, hasn't he? And he's the one who looks after. And, in, and then his brothers came and he could have just, you know, be hard on them, but he showed them mercy. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of the grace of God. But I love it in Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, after all of these things happened, and I'll leave you with this, after all of the bad things and the troubles and afflictions happened, he always stayed humble. He says, but as for you, you meant all against me, but God meant it for good. God is good. Now, he could have sat there in, in the prison, and he could have sat there and said, Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm losing my faith now. But he was patient. Think about the prodigal son who went away, sitting there with pigs. Have you ever been to that place where you sit with pigs? Not physical pigs now. You get where I'm going, Tupo, yeah? You go to a place and man, you don't like where you're sitting and you, and you think, but God will never, never forgive me. How can I go back to God? And here is the Father standing with open arms every day looking down the road to see if that son comes, that daughter comes. I don't know where you are this morning. I, I believe this message for what we're going through in our life is meant for me as well, but I believe it's for some people here as well. Where are you this morning? Where are you sitting? Where's your faith and where's your trust? And when you say God is good, believe it. Because His essence is good. You see, God can never be not good. Everything He makes is good. He created this whole universe. And what did He say? And God saw and it was good. And He made man. He made you. And when he looked, it was good. The only thing that came in was sin that corrupted. But then he sent his son. And that was? Good. God is? All the time? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I just want to say, Lord, that I, I trust you and I thank you, Father. Now, Father, if I must be honest in front of these people, I don't think that I've preached a perfect sermon. 
But Father, I thank you that your word is spoken. It is not about what we do, Father. It's about what you do. And Father, if there's people in this place who resonated with this message, I pray your Holy Spirit to touch their hearts and their minds. And Father, to go through this week knowing and thanking you for that you are good. And nothing will happen to us, Father, if it doesn't carry your approval. And through everything that happens to us comes your goodness. So we want to praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen.